Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast, episode 227. I am Ari Mizell. And I am Nick Sonnenberg. I like the inflection there, Nick. Thank you. We matched each other. Blake uh, Eastman taught me about the art of inflection. Well, and speaking about our good friend Blake Eastman, he is in the World Series of Poker right now, and he's crushing it. Yeah, I was, uh, well, I didn't sleep last night, so I had time to do some Googling. If I find a good flight in the next few hours, I might go and support him. I mean, he... As of right now, he's in the main event, the $10,000 buy-in. He's a close friend of ours. We box with him on Mondays. <laughs> it's like in uh, American Psycho. We box at the Harvard Club with... Uh, <laughs> what was that line? We box at the Harvard Club. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you sound like yeah, that. I box occasionally at the Harvard Club. That's yeah. From- uh, we, we box at Church Street with him. But anyways, uh, he's a pro poker player. He did very well in the $5,000 buy-in. He came in fourth. I won't mention how much that was, but... Now, uh, it's day f- going into day four. There was uh, 6,900 people that started. It's down to 800, and he's, in the, he's ranked 186 right now out of the 800. He's like five spots above Johnny Chan, if you ever watch the movie Rounders. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. I'm surprised he's still playing. Yeah. He's old. <laughs> um, good old Johnny. Yeah, good old Johnny. There you go. Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, it's also a cool day because it is Nick's birthday. So oh, thanks. happy birthday, Nick. Everybody wish Nick happy birthday on social media, internet, and um, telegrams and everything. How old are you? I'm finally 23. Uh, ah, yeah. yes. Only 23 seven times. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am 32 today. So congratulations. I'm getting the numbers mixed up. Yes, right. <laughs> Other than your memory. So... Uh, I want to remind everybody that we want reviews and subscribers. Now, it's funny to ask for these because I want them, but we are launching a brand new podcast in about four weeks. So I still want the reviews and the subscribers for our current one because it only helps more people find out about the new podcast, but we are relaunching and rebranding the Less Doing Podcast in about a month's time, so sometime in the middle of August. And we need your help. We need help coming up with the right name. So we've got a couple options right now, but I'll tell you this. If you email us at, uh, what should they do? Which email address would be best? VA at Less Doing, I okay, think. Okay, so if you email oh. us at VA Less Doing, or you tweet either of us, you can tweet the Less Doing uh, with a name and a suggestion. If you, are the, if you come up with a name that we choose, we will give you a handsome reward. I can't tell you what it is yet, but it will be handsome, I promise. And that, so not Nick. So we're, your, Nick is not your reward, but it will be a handsome reward. And well, I'm not <laughs> handsome, so. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, right now, I'll just tell you what some of the ones that we are thinking of is we're, I, we like the less doing method, also optimize automate outsource, and Nick likes business process optimization is the name of the podcast. So we're open to anything. If you guys like those, cool, write in and tell us. If you and, and by the way, if you write in and tell us, I like the less doing method, and we end up picking that, you will still be in a, uh, a lottery to get some sort of prize. So no, not just the less doing method. If you tell us anyone. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I'm not steering them towards my solution. Yeah, that was but a I, subtle, that was a subtle bias <laughs> that you're implementing there. Ari. But we're open to anything. Fucker. Yeah, <laughs> we're open to anything. Uh, so that'll be coming in the next few weeks. And, um, and yeah, so thank you for that. And remember to go to lessdoing.com slash podcast slash 227 for the show notes from this page. And you're going to want to do that because we have a special offer from Blinkist. And I'm telling you to go there because it's a very long URL. So you'll have to go to the show notes to check it out. But right now, if you go to this link and go to Blinkist, you'll get uh, 20% off, I think. Is it, Nick? I think that's the, yeah, yeah, that's the deal. 
you'll get 20% off off their monthly service. And if you haven't seen Blinkist, it is the service that was designed almost with the less doing audience completely in mind when it comes to reading. If you don't have time to read all the interesting new business books that come out, and yes, less doing is on their platform, you can read a Blink in about 10 or 15 minutes. And honestly, they're really good and you get the major points. And I think studies show that about 12 pages of any nonfiction book is actual content. The rest is fluff. So there you go. You can get it from Blinkist. And if you go to that link on the show notes, again, that's lessdoing.com slash podcast slash 227. You can sign up for Blinkist and get 20% off their monthly service. And, and the book that we have coming out beginning of October will be on Blinkist. But honestly, I think we're the uh, anomaly to that 12... 12 page rule. I, I think that I don't <laughs> so recommend much reading our book on Blinkist because there really is no fluff um, in what we're, what we're doing. But regardless, you can read it on both and uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Now, this is not speed reading. It's, a, it's an actual edited written summary, but it just reminds me of this speed reading joke. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard this, but there was a, I forgot the name of it, actually. There was a very famous speed reading course back in the 60s and, or 70s. And w- Woody Allen was going on um, the, what's, uh, what was the late show? The first one, John, what, Johnny? Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. So he's going to the Johnny Carson show and he's talking about the speed reading course. He's like, oh yeah, tell me about it. He's like, yeah, well, you know, while I was waiting in the green room to come on stage, I read War and Peace. Um, you know, War and Peace is like 800 pages. He's like, oh, great. Well, what do you think of it? He said, it was about Russia. <laughs> so uh there's there's there is that risk sometimes when you you go with these summaries but uh i have to say blinkus is is very well done so uh oh and the other announcement i have is that i ari Mizell, have my first official boxing match coming up november 18th uh through an organization called haymakers for hope which supports cancer research i will be knocking out cancer um, and I'm going to be raising some money and I'm going to be raising awareness and there'll be more details on that soon. But if you want to see me come and get my ass beat or hopefully beat up somebody else, November 18th at Hammerstein Ballroom, we'll have tickets for sale through uh, the show notes soon. And I am training like a beast. Some of you may have seen some of the running and stuff that I've been doing and the the, the workouts that we posted. Uh, I did a six and a half minute mile yesterday, which I was very happy with. I haven't done that since high school. Uh, and half a quarter of that was with my training mask on. So trying to, that's, that's really good. Thank you. I'm trying to goad Nick into pushing himself a little bit more. Well, I, I, I signed up too late. Like I thought it was by the end of June and, uh, I did it by the end of June, but then there was no more spots. So I'm, I'm bummed, but, uh, I boxed with Mike yesterday and he said, there's, uh, some other ones that he can sign me up for. Oh, you did. You did. Oh, that's great. I'm glad that you did that. I'm going to be in next week to spar with him. So yeah, you, you know that I, I secretly am competitive and yeah, I've been going twice a day. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, come see me and Nick at Haymakers for Hope on November 18th. Uh, all right. So now to the links. I only got a few that I want to tell you about today. The first one, you'll appreciate this, Mr. Calvin. This is called Calbert. Mm-hmm. And it's a calendar. It's a calendar thing. Um, so I'll tell you, I've been playing around with it. It's cool. It's not amazing. Um, what it does is that if you're on a page, uh, not, not, sorry, not a page. If you get an email from somebody, and it's like, you know, let's meet next, next week. This is not for helping you make plans. This is for helping to put it in the calendar, which is a pain point. There's no question. Um, and Google does an okay job of it. But essentially, it, it can read like natural language, and it will create the invite with the proper time and location if it's in there and send them an invite and everything. So uh, it's nice. It just saves you a few seconds. 
But isn't there, wait, sorry, this is in an email? So it's an extension for Chrome. So if somebody sends you an email and it has, you know, and you've like come up with a time that you're all going to meet, I'll show you. Uh, and then you just click the button. So if the email says, hold on, it's right here. Isn't there a Google, isn't there a lab that you can enable to do this? Yeah, and it doesn't work very well. Okay, so this is a replacement to the to the lab that's supposed to work. Yes, so look right here. So it says, hey, sure, let's do 3 p.m. on 13th on the 13th. And then it, it adds that in automatically and it can put the location and email them. It just saves you a step from like cutting and pasting uh, into a calendar invite, which is, you can do this from the phone basically right now. Your iPhone essentially does this built in, but Gmail doesn't do it really well. Really? I, I've found that it's not bad. Um, you know, it underlines it and then you click it and it goes into your Google calendar. Well, I mean, t- you know, go try it and see. Yeah, but, yeah, we can test it. Yeah, so it's not groundbreaking, but it's cool. Um, this one is this one is interesting to me. This is a different take. So this is called Rhythm. It's R T H M, and <laughs> so this is basically combining all of the sensors that we always use with our phones to get it can get your your uh, heart health, um, your uh, uh, like activities, your sleep, everything from your phone. But they also have a service for you to send in a, a saliva swab to get your genetic profile, and then it will include that DNA information in your insights and like suggestions for what you should be doing. Does it integrate with 23andMe? Because I've already done that with 23andMe. Yes, it does. So you can upload your 23andMe data. Uh, you're, you're always a step ahead, huh? Yeah, yes, exactly. So by the way, a lot of people don't realize that if you've ever done 23andMe, that data is yours and you should download it. It's a, it's a I forgot the name, it's like an ORT or something file, I can't remember. Um, but just in case for some reason something happens, like you should actually have that file uh, because there are a number of services like Genetic Genie is one. This is another one where you can upload that data and then it will actually personalize things to you. So what this is saying is that uh, it can actually give you uh, genetic smart tips and telomere smart tips. And, and telomeres are the, the end caps to your genes, to your chromosomes, uh, and they're associated with aging. So essentially like if you have degraded telomeres then you will age faster and like a lot of the um the anti-aging community is all about telomeres now and telomerase so uh this is cool it's an interesting take uh so it basically like for one thing i've done a couple of these where there was a, a fitness one and i genetically am more prone to be a sprinter which i get now obviously most of you know that i've done ironman but that was a struggle for me i am not built to do long distances i did it but I'm not built for it. So I'm much more apt for sprinting. Oh, that's fine. That's another thing we have in common. I was a sprinter in swimming. But um, what was the indicator to know that you're a sprinter versus long distance? There's a propensity towards me having a higher level of fast twitch versus slow twitch muscle fiber. So if you have more fast twitch muscle fiber, you're going to be much more of a sprinter and slow twitch will be more of an endurance athlete. Oh, gotcha. Now again, that's genetics. Doesn't mean you can't overcome your genes in some way, but it's it's definitely helpful information. So, uh, okay, the next one. This one I haven't even told you about, Nick. And this is just it's cool. This is an intercom in some ways replacement. Not that I'm suggesting it for that, but uh, it's called Slask, and it basically brings all of that communication between team and client into Slack. So one of the things about Slack is that it definitely is meant for internal communication. But what this does is it actually allows you to chat, for one thing, with outsiders. Uh, You can also deal with customer service issues with outsiders and clients through Slack. 
So um, in some ways, this is like intercom within Slack. Yeah, uh, I, I still will use intercom and not try that. Yeah, I, but it's, if you haven't signed up for it, I mean, I love intercom too, obviously, as you know. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's nice to be able to do this all within Slack, you have to admit. Yeah. If, if it works the same way. If, if it does, but I mean, it might be like a cheaper solution to intercom if you're worried about cost. But if you're not worried about costs, I can't imagine that it's better. But yeah, it's, it's worth trying just to know. Yeah. So, okay. So that's Slask, S-L-A-I-S-K. And then I got one more, which is... Uh, this uh, is an article from Barking Up the Wrong Tree uh, called How to Be Productive. And this is one of the few times when I see those kinds of articles and I actually agree with it. So uh, they, they, basically the, the summary points are, uh, one is that you need to prioritize and they, say, they suggest using fixed schedule productivity. This I agree with. They say you won't get everything done, but you'll get the, the right things done. So this is basically saying like, look, I only have an hour to do this. Um, so you almost, you know, unless you're, completely incapable, you're going to have to shed certain things. And it might not work the first couple of times, but eventually, if you're only given a certain amount of time, you're going to use that appropriately. So that's one, which I, I like. Uh, the next one it says is uh, context. So distractions make you stupid. Find a place to hide or work from home in the morning or whatever. You have found a new place where you really like to work, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh now I'm a part of the cool kid club like you and a member of Soho house. So now we're both members of Soho house and I've been going there every day to work and it's been, uh, it's been really nice getting out of the house and going there to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but so then there was one other, which I found very interesting and they said, just setting the stakes basically. So for dull tasks, reward yourself, but for complex tasks, ask why they're important and find purpose. So that's kind of cool. I thought that was actually a good approach. Um, because they still can't see you. So what does that mean? I don't know. I, I would. <laughs> why do you have to be? At, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear your comment. I know, but like asking yourself, is it worth? Like, isn't it like like almost like a subconscious thing? Like, if it's not worth it, like it, it wouldn't even be on the plate. I don't know. Okay, but like, look at like in our business right now, how we're focusing on you know client acquisition or scaling or whatever sometimes obviously we can say always oh, scalability is important but sometimes it is we have to discuss like why is that more important than something else right it's it's a driver yeah no, that's true so yeah okay well so that's all we got for today the interview today is with dave heath from bomba socks my favorite new socks uh really interesting guy and he uh he goes into how they started the company and how they're doing the buy one get one model differently and that's it. So uh, we'll be back next week and we'll be that much closer to having the new podcast. So please don't forget to submit those names. We'd love to hear them. Yeah, to VA at less doing would be the best, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And have a great week, everybody. Bye, guys. So now we're speaking with Dave Heath, who is the founder of Bombas, the uh, revolutionary sock company, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I love these socks. So uh, Dave, thank you for, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's, let's, let's get right into the socks, okay? Because I feel like socks are one of those things that a lot of people don't, I mean, well, I feel like that because I'm not in the industry, but I feel like it's one of those things that it's just an accessory, it's just something you wear. And of course, there's all sorts of ways now to express yourself because there's all sorts of colorful, wonderful socks. But uh, I, I feel like your socks are like an engineering marvel. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate you thinking that. Um, you know, it means uh, obviously I think we're we're doing uh, what we intended to do correctly. Um, you know, we, you know, what, what it all kind of came about. Um, I mean, the, the initial, the initial idea came about when I, I learned that socks were the most requested clothing item at homeless shelters, um, and this was in early 2011. Um, and I'd kind of seen, you know, I'd, I'd always wanted to start my own company, and I'd written a bunch of business plans, and um, I'd, I'd seen kind of the success that Tom's was uh, was experiencing, and they were about year five of their four or five or six of their business. Um, eight months later, earlier, Warby Parker had launched. So I was like, oh man, this like one for one model seems to be really hot and people really resonate with it. You know, maybe this can help solve that sock problem. Um, but, you know, when I started to think about, okay, well, you know, in order to sell, you know, a lot of socks, I'd have to make a good sock. Um, and so I started to really look at the marketplace and, you know, I kind of saw that there was this huge disparity between kind of your low, cheap, mass market, multi-pack products, and then these individual premium price products, which, you know, were 14, 15, 18, $22 a pair. Um, and, and, frankly, a segment of the category that, you know, never really resonated with me. Um, and, and I, the more I looked into it, I realized the reason it never resonated with me is because they were, uh, all the premium stuff were being marketed pretty endemically towards specific, uh, you know, athletic categories. So you'd have a running sock, a cycling sock, a basketball sock. And, you know, while I consider myself an athletic guy and I work out three, four days a week, um, I by no means consider myself or label myself a runner or a cyclist or a basketball player. So I was always just, you know, choosing kind of generic athletic socks. Um, the, the more and more I looked into it, though, I realized that the stuff at the premium side of the market really did have a marked difference in terms of the overall feel and comfort uh, and performance, um, you know, of the of the of the product. Um, and you know, so I kind of saw an opportunity uh, to basically take all the technology and features that I was, uh, you know, finding in the higher end of this segment, and bring them down to a more mass market, um, you know, approachable, A, price point, um, but B, more importantly, aesthetic, right? I wanted to create something that could seamlessly go um, from working, you know, a day with a pair of jeans and sneakers in the office uh, to then, you know, going for a three-mile run or taking it to the gym um, and not having to, you know, kind of change my socks or have something that was purpose uh, built just for that one activity. So is there a main um, use case though for the socks or it's really like a multi-purpose, you know, go out with them, work out with them, formal? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's this kind of this new dawn of athletic leisure, right? It's, it's, you know, what, what Nike and Lululemon and everybody else in this segment is really capitalizing on, you know, when, when we were developing the product back in 2011, I, you know, that, that trend had just kind of started, um, but really hadn't kind of gained the momentum that it has today where it's perfectly acceptable for you to show up to a, uh, work in a pair of sweatpants as long as they say Lululemon or Nike on them. Um, or soul cycle. Soul cycle, exactly. Um, but so so our, our socks are engineered to, you know, withstand, you know, we've got ultra marathoners who wear our products. We've got people who compete in Ironman who wear our products. But you know, realizing that that's a really small segment of the market, 
we wanted them to be able to perform for those activities, but really gear them towards kind of the more mass market consumer. You know, I think one of the parallels that we always drive, and obviously it's on a much smaller scale, but, you know, one of the analogies that I use is, you know, we're trying to do for socks what Starbucks did for coffee, right? So, so the coffee market, there had always been this really niche subculture of coffee enthusiasts who cared about the roasting techniques and where the beans came from and, you know, could pick up on the different flavor notes, very similar to a sommelier for wine. Um, but it was a very niche targeted segment. Um, what Starbucks realized was if we can take the same quality of product, but then call it a frappuccino or a mocha latte and, you know, deliver it to the mass market consumer, they'll see the difference between your kind of 75 cent corner, you know, deli coffee and a premium roasted coffee. We're trying to basically do the same with socks. So, you know, we see that there's this high end segment, but we want to take that, put it in a more approachable wrapper and then try to convert the person who is normally wearing Hanes uh, to, you know, step up slightly to our product. Can you talk about the technology of the stock a little bit more? So like what, what kind of, t- the engineering of the sock is it uh, absorbs sweat better than a normal sock like you know what 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 what's the big difference between your socks and the Hanes sock sure so it, it originally started um and we've kind of our line has expanded a little bit but i'll speak to kind of our core line um you know i, I grew up as a kid with adhd i had uh, hypersensitivity issues you know the tags in the back of shirts and Funnily enough, the seams on the inside of socks always drove that, you know, drove me bananas. Um, so me that, too. Was that means I was hypersensitive because the tags and the sock, like I used to spend a lot of time getting those seams exactly where it needed to be. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's borderline, you know, there's, it's like there's a spectrum, obviously, and people who have autism are, are high, have high sensitivity too. But there is actually a direct correlation between um, you know hypersensitivity and and IQ to a certain degree. But um, that, that's for a whole other episode, I'm sure. Um, you just but, uh, made next day, Dave. <laughs> we'll just add that to the bucket list of issues. <laughs> Um, so no, there is. And so, you know, something that drove the hell out of me, uh, as a kid and, and, you know, even till this day as an adult. Um, so that was the first thing for me. I was like, I want to get rid of the toe seam. And typically, you know, seamless toes were actually only found, you know, on, on high end, uh, dress socks. And the reason being is that they're, you know, dress socks tend to be a thinner material. So the seams tend to be more pronounced, but for me, I, I felt them even in athletic socks. So we incorporated a seamless toe into athletic socks. Um, we came up with our own proprietary arch support system that goes around the middle of your foot to kind of give you the compression and comfort uh, where you need it most in the middle of your foot. Uh, we developed this Y-stitched heel, which uh, naturally creates a, a cup around the back of your foot. So, in, you know, it actually hugs the back of your foot um, a lot better than a traditional sock. Um, we, in our ankle socks, we developed a blister tab so that the sock doesn't slip into your shoe and also prevents the painful rubbing that you get on the back of your uh, ankle um, if you're ever doing long runs and, you know, are wearing the correct pair of socks. 
Um, on our calf socks, one of the things that drove the hell out of me is that my socks are always stretching out and falling down, no matter you know how many times I keep pulling them up. So we tested over 200 different tensiles and fabric um, you know blends to find the right amount of compression that the sock will stay up no matter how many times you wash or wear it, um, but also doesn't feel so tight that um, you know it's cutting off circulation. Um, and then finally, we use uh, this really high grade, long staple, um, you know. Peruvian Pima cotton, uh, which is one of the best cottons you can use in the world. It's a natural fiber, so it doesn't uh, retain odor the same way that a lot of synthetic fibers do. Uh, but because it's such a high grade, it, it, it wicks moisture um, incredibly well, uh, while also staying warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Um, it, it's similar to kind of the properties of a merino wool, but just at a slightly lower price point. What is the logic for the, the line seam at the top of a sock? Uh, and uh, reposition that. I'm not sure I follow. What What's the purpose? Like all the socks have the the seam at the top near the toes that you said that your socks don't have. I'm just oh, wondering. Got it. What 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 yeah. What's the logic for other companies to make the seam? I never understood that. Uh, cost. Um, so what basically, you know, and, and this is a little sock 101 lesson, uh, a little history. Um, to, there's a reason that socks are called tube socks, right? Because they're they're knit on what's called a tubular sock knitting machine. And so there's actually very little manual labor involved with sock manufacturing at all. It's actually quite, it's more engineering, um, you know, and technical programming than it is uh, actual manual labor. Uh, unlike cut and sew products like t-shirts and other, um, you know, jeans and whatever. Um, so it, the, the yarn is pulled in directly through this, you know, basically what looks like a circle of needles and the sock is knit with these, you know, uh, basically as a tube. Um, the more advanced machines today, you know, are able to articulate a heel um, and then, but it, but it still is a tube at the end. So it comes off of the machine having no closure uh, where the toe is. And so what they typically do is then they just run it through a very standard manufacturing sewing machine, um, which creates that, you know, quite very stiff and, and um, you know, heavy ridge, uh, which is where you get the seam. Um, our socks are, are done on a much finer machine um, and require a lot more craftsmanship. Um, so that's where you get the added cost in, um, in producing that. And so, you know, the traditional companies say, I'm not going to spend, you know, 25 cents to put, you know, a seamless toe on a 45 pair, you know, cent pair of socks that, you know, I'm going to sell for a dollar. Um, but for us, it, it, we felt like it, it really makes a huge difference. Um, so we were willing to kind of add that cost into our product. When you're looking at a one-for-one -one model, I mean, maybe this is a stupid question, but does that automatically mean your costs are double? <laughs> It means our gross margin costs are double, right? or like our landed costs. So, I mean, we do get some economies of scale through, um, you know, we, we created this specially formulated donation sock. So, at first, we were donating the same pairs of socks that we were selling to our customers because, you know, from, from the onset, you know, I didn't want to create a company that was rooted in, in trying to do some good or social, you know, positivity for the world, uh, while then behind, you know, behind the uh, curtain, you know, really be screwing these people over and going, ah, we'll give them something cheap. They don't know what, you know, whatever. Um, I really wanted to give them the same joy that I experienced and that all of our customers experience when slipping on a new pair of our socks. Um, the funny thing was, is that, you know, as we, we kind of have these two base colors, black and gray, uh, when we first started and, you know, we kept 
kept getting feedback that, you know, I'd be on the street and I'd be handing out socks on my way to work and they'd always say, oh, do you have those black ones? I really like the black ones. Um, and one day I kind of just stopped and was like, just curious, like, why, why do you always ask for the black ones? They're like, well, it shows dirt less. And I was like, ah. <laughs> so maybe the socks that I'm designing for our end consumers should not be, you know, considered in the same way for, you know, the homeless community and consumer. And so that took us to like come back and actually re-engineer our donation sock where, you know, we reinforced all the toe seams because they'd rather sacrifice a little bit of comfort for long, you know, for longer durability or longevity. Um, we then re, uh, we, so we reinforce all the seams. We use a darker color to help minimize the visible wear. But then most importantly, we treat the socks with an antimicrobial treatment, which helps prevent the growth of fungus um, and bacteria on the feet, which, you know, when you're wearing the same pairs of socks for a week on end um, and not really taking your shoes off a whole lot, that makes a huge amount of difference. It's a, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, I think, from a consumer marketing side for, for companies that put antimicrobial treatments in any sort of product because after four washes, the detergent pulls the antimicrobial treatment out. But when you're living on the streets and you're not washing your socks or clothes every day, it stays in and it has the properties that really has a meaningful value. Um, but, but going back to your, your, your question, yeah, we, you know, uh, the, you know, the cost of our donation sock is about 10% cheaper than the cost of the sock that we deliver to the customer. And that's only through the economies of scale. We're, you know, placing hundreds of thousands of pairs of one single SKU, uh, for our donation sock versus the multiple SKUs that we have on our regular socks. Yeah, it was, just, it was just interesting to me because, you know, there are so many of these one-to-one -one businesses now, and it's just people who are thinking about it, I, I, you know, it's worthwhile understanding that. And that, that is a really good point, though, about delivering a different uh, – well, because, you know, when you initially said it, it was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do the nice socks for the customers and the cheap socks for the donation, but you're really – you're actually providing a more appropriate product. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, you know, people, I think for anybody that's looking to start a one for one business, you know, you've got to, you've got to make sure that your business margin works from, from, you know, day one. Right. And, and you've got to incorporate your donation into that. And, you know, when we, when we did the math originally before we even kind of started, you know, selling anything, um, you know, I, that was a lesson. So a lesson I learned a long time ago with my first startup was actually figure out how you're going to make money before you start a business. Um, because it cost me about $75,000 of <laughs> website development before I realized, Oh, I actually don't have a way to actually make money on this product. Um, but you know, uh, that was a lesson learned that, that I would not repeat again. So, you know, I sat down with this, this woman recently and she was like, you know, my landed cost is, you know, and it goes all the way through. Right? She's like, my landed cost is $75. Uh, you know, I then donate a product that's 25, but I'm selling the product for 125. And I'm going, wait, you only have 25, you know, dollars of margin on a $125 product. I was like, before you go any further, like, do not go any further. Like, <laughs> you're, you know. On, you know, you should have 25% of like operating margin, not 25% gross margin. Uh, so, you know, those are the types of things that you kind of have to start with from day one. But I would also say, you know, I sat down with an investor once and, and he was convinced. He's like, you'll never get the ROI on your donation product. You know, that's why, you know, I'm not going to invest in your business. 
And while it's true, when you think of like a pure accounting basis, you're saying, okay, right, for the you know $1.20 that I spend on my donation stock versus the $1.40 that we spend on our, um, you know, the, co- the, the hard cost of our, our regular stock, you know, yeah, could that, that $1.20 for the donation stock be better used for margin and then, you know, reinvest in marketing or whatever? You know, from a fundamental standpoint, yes. But then I would also say that, you know, we likely wouldn't have gotten on Shark Tank without our donation model. We likely wouldn't have, you know, raised $150,000 on, on Indiegogo without our donation model. We likely, I know we definitely wouldn't have launched a global marketing campaign with The Gap last holiday season where The Gap was in, so inspired by our mission that, you know, the two weeks leading up to Black Friday, they promoted our socks in their stores and then matched a million pairs of, of donation socks that, you know, they sold, you know, that, that they matched on their own, you know, you can't tie the intangible ROI of those types of things to, you know, the accounting ROI uh, on the donation side. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just not, it's not, you can't compare apples to apples. Now there's another thing. So you went on Indiegogo before Star Stink, right? Yeah. So we launched our company on Indiegogo. Yeah. And that, so were there, have there been other sock companies that have done that? Um, you know, if you follow the, uh, if you follow the, um, crowdfunding marketplace closely, uh, I think what you'll see, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that we're the pioneer for that space, but, um, I think what you'll see is, is as soon as one company is successful, you start to get a myriad of copycats, um, you know, who come along and say, oh, wow, they did it. I mean, I remember it's like, Look how many like like new innovative thin wallet companies there are on on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or right. you know innovative cooler companies or backpack. It's like once one kind of launches, you start to get a ton of other people who follow. But I think we were we were one of the first uh, to launch a sock brand on Indiegogo. Because again, like to me, the whole time, like because I, I love the socks as you know, and I wear them now and stuff. But it it it's like if you, if you ask me beforehand about socks like it's just it, it's like not like a sexy thing in some ways you know so like i the the what you did on indiegogo was awesome yeah i mean that's what you know we we realized that the the digital medium um you know uh, both of indiegogo but online in general um you know allows us to really it's, it's an unlimited canvas by which we can tell our story and you know share with people why our socks tech matters and then share with people the impact that, you know, raising the issue, you know, raising awareness around the issue face, issues facing homelessness, um, you know, the online platform, uh, the arena gives you so much more real estate to, to market those things or explain those things than, you know, a two inch piece of packaging on a hang tag in the back of some store. Um, and I think that's really kind of what's revolutionary about, you know, the, the, um, uh, transition of, of e-commerce brands or consumer brands to e-commerce. Uh, you know, when was the last time that you like picked up a toothbrush and really cared about, you know, what features it has, you know, that's like, but, but there's a lot of people that are like, wow, this has been done the same way for the last 30 years. Like there's, there's, there's opportunities to, you know, reinvent this space, but you know, in a, 
small piece of packaging on you know a store in CVS, you're not going to be able to translate why the consumer should spend two dollars more on a toothbrush than the Oral B competitor. But when you have the online arena, it's like, oh, I'll sit there and watch a 30 second video, and you know, I'll read through pages and pages of content that'll help me upsell uh, onto that product. Well, that's really interesting, Dave. Now, we want to be really respectful of your time and wrap up here. Um, and what we'd like to do is ask a final question. What are the top three tips um, that you recommend to, for someone to be more effective and you can interpret being more effective however you like? Sure. Um, one is, is certainly focus. Um, I think that whenever you know, whenever you're, especially for entrepreneurs, right, and, and anybody who's kind of, you know, very ambitious or trying to do a lot of, of goals, you know, you, you can do a lot of things poorly or you can do a few things really well. And that was kind of one of the things that, you know, I took away early on. I think when you're an entrepreneur, you kind of get excited about all the opportunities. And I think when we first, you know, launched on Indiegogo, we were like, okay, we're going to, what should we make next? Underwear. And, you know, maybe we should do hats and hoodies and, you know, sweatpants. And then we were like, well, we, we got this great piece of advice. They're like, look at all the brands that you love and that are huge today. Nike started with one pair of running shoes. Lululemon started with the yoga pant. Under Armour started with the bass player. You know, you look at all these brands and you're like, wow, they, they earned their right to expand out of one category, but they, they, they built their brand by being really, really good at one thing. Um, the other thing that I would say uh, recently, um, you know, and I spoke with this a little bit about with Ari when I first met him, uh, I think meditation has, has changed my life uh, dramatically in terms of becoming more effective. Um, the, the 15 or 20 minutes you take out of your day to kind of just clear your mind um, for whatever reason, it has like magical properties that just allows you to be immensely more effective. And the days that I skip meditating are the days that I find, you know, I'm more disorganized. I'm not as focused, um, you know, and uh, I'm not as effective. Awesome. Well, Dave, that's great. Thank you uh, so much for all that. And where, I mean, we'll, we'll have everything in the show notes, but where can people find out more? Uh, that's B-O-M-B-A-S uh, dot com. And everybody, uh, all new customers get 20% off their first purchase. Oh, awesome. And uh, what's Dave's favorite sock of all the Bomba socks? <laughs> uh, I really like our black quarter length, um, but <laughs> our new our new models have been selling incredibly well. So uh, there's a lot to love. It's like, like choosing your favorite child, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> all right. Well, Dave, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.